Hi, and welcome to our Bay Talk podcast series, TGIFBS. Thank God it's Friday, business support. My name's Dave Palomara, and I'm pleased to have you listen. This is a series of short, sharp podcasts with tips and tricks on keeping business on track. Each fortnight on a Monday, we post a social media, uh, we post on social media a topic of discussion and welcome our members and guests to message us with any questions, questions you might have uh, to be answered by our subject matter expert. In this podcast, we're looking at wealth management. A lot of self-employed people don't really think about this, but they're focused uh, wholly and solely on their business. Having a plan for the future, though, is a key principle, not just in running your business, but also in your personal finances. Joining me today is Baytalk member and director of Antipodean Advisory, Michael Clapham. Uh, Antipodean Advisory offer a range of services uh, directed at wealth management. And Michael, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you, David. Welcome. And um, thanks for having me here today. Appreciate yeah, it. A pleasure. Um, before we get into the questions, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What, why did you decide to uh, start your own financial planning business? Um, I've been sort of in, I was in investment banking for 25 years and financial markets are kind of my real passion, um, understanding how um, economics works and the actual fiscal monetary policy of what government policy does and how the Reserve Bank changes interest rates and how they affect the values of assets has always been a, um, a big part of, of my life and a true interest and I really um, like understanding those processes and while I was in banking I talked to um, international fund managers and um, worked in dealing rooms um, and this is just a logical extension of that. Um, prior I was talking to um, international fund managers, now I get a real kick out of trying to help um, individuals um, understand um, the process and build a, a plan for them so that they can sort of have a roadmap for their wealth journey. Um, that's generally what I'm trying to do, but that um, financial markets experience and international experience means to say that I can view things and I, I personally think in a different light. That's fantastic. That's excellent. Um, so what do you, so obviously uh, what you find rewarding about what you do, what, um, how would you, what would you say is the most rewarding thing about what you do? Uh, the most rewarding thing about um, what I do, and a really good example is um, yesterday I presented to a lady, um, she got an inheritance, um, she was very uncomfortable with what to do with the money um, and wasn't sure um, where to go and how to deal with it. And you know, we come up, come up with um, nine strategies for her in relation to that. Um, and the key part that's the most enjoyable part is once you've left and, and, and they understand what you've actually provided, um, they get that comfort. And I always call it head on the pillow comfort. Um, and if they're not comfortable like that and they don't um, get a good feel for what the process is and, and, and the roadmap that we're creating for them, um, then they shouldn't proceed. Um, and really, it's all about um, comfort so that they understand the process. And, and through that comes um, de-stressing. Um, they understand where they're going. And then, you know, the key for her was knowing that she had enough money um, to retire on and that she's actually going to be comfortable. Um, and that's a big part of the process to just to ensure that they, they have that comfort. And that's very rewarding when they when you see people de-stressed and they're really comfortable about where they're going and then they have, a, have that plan in place. Yeah, okay. That's great. It's um, yeah. I, I can imagine. I, I well, I, I from the work I do, I, I do know it's getting people to have that uh, comfort feeling of comfort um, is 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 very re rewarding. Um, 
All right. Uh, before we uh, jump into the questions, um, did you want to give your... Yeah, just just so everybody knows, um, this um, I've got to give a general advice warning, and that's um, and it's based on the fact that the information that I'm giving is just general advice, and I haven't considered your personal circumstances. So, if there's something you want to act on, you should really talk to your advisor, um, just to ensure you're not doing the wrong thing um, from that point of view, because you just don't want to create unnecessary risks um, because potentially. We just want to make sure that the right hand is doing what doing the same as the left hand, so that your your processes are in place. And that's why it's always good to talk to your accountant or your, whoever your um, professional advisor is before you take action. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Um, all right. So let's just get a little bit of an understanding of. Uh, so what we we're trying to gear this towards uh, small business owners. Um, so, which no doubt uh, a good majority of your, or a good chunk of your clients are. Um, why do people start a small business? What what do you think the main reasons they uh, they start a small business is? I, I find um, there are probably three key driving factors. Um, um, a, a number of my clients are dissatisfied or they don't think that they can reach their potential within their current employment and that kind of um, starts the process for them. And then there's others that are um, the kind of the second group, they're always going to run their own business and they want to run their own business. And that and that, that's for a multitude of reasons, whether it be um, they believe that they're really good at what they do, they want, to, they want to create their name in the world in relation to it, or they like helping people just depending where they're at. Um, and then the other, other people just don't want to work for anybody and they want that freedom um, to work for themselves and be their own boss and control their destiny. Um, so they're, they're the three main groups and, and they all intermingle in certain ways. Um, but really, you know, these people are generally trying to set their own destiny and um, and make a plan and build a business to that end so that they can, um, you know, fund themselves so they can have a suitable lifestyle. That's generally where they're going. Yeah. Or some people have a great idea and, you know, they've got a great idea and they run it out. And there's many examples of people having a great idea. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah, so you, you pretty much probably answered my, my next question as well, which I was going to say, what do you, um, what do they generally want to get out of it? But essentially there's a range of reasons there, isn't there? Like whether it's, you know, lifestyle legacy um, or just seeing through an idea. I think also the other part um, for a lot of people is I think when they're working for an employer, um, they find that they've lost their creativity um, from that point of view because they're limited in what they can do and then they see limitations in relation to what they can earn. Um, and I think that the, the financial benefits are a lot of it um, from that point of view because they can see the opportunity um, to make better money and have um, a more suitable lifestyle that they believe and that flexibility to control their hours. And I think that that flexibility is definitely a big part of where we've come. And obviously COVID's taken us there quickly, but a lot of people want that flexibility and, and running your own business. If you if you don't work during the day, you're going to do it at night. Um, and some people want that flexibility, how they run their businesses. Um, whereas if you've got to be, if you work nine to five, you've got to, got to kind of got to be there. But with, when you're running your own business, you, you set your own hours. And um, if you don't work, you, you'll, you'll, find very very quickly um the results from that point of view so you're mm. kind of fully responsible for where you get to yeah i think to some of those um self-employed people uh, saying nine to five it's more like uh uh five five in the morning till nine at night <laughs> uh yeah and it's waking up at three in the morning worrying about doing something um 
you know, that you've done something right or so trying to solve a problem for a client. Yeah, it's one of those things that never leaves you and it's a, it's completely different to when you actually work for an employer. Yeah, it's a different yeah. 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 yeah, all right. So what should people want um, at the end of their working career? So setting up a business or, or, or at the end of a, a period in their life, so whether it's setting up, um, a biz- whether it's running a business or whatever it might be, but I think there's some really good examples of, um, and especially if you see some tradespeople, how they do it, and they've run, they've run really quite successful businesses, and and they, they, those businesses have built wealth for them. And quite a really common strategy that they'll have, they'll run, they'll run their their trade, they're good at it, they'll they'll get to a point where that that their businesses have effectively bought them a commercial property. So they own a like a factory or something where they run the business out of, and that can be in their self-managed super fund or in the actual um, in, in the actual business from that point of view. So they've built wealth within the business. And then you find um, once those once that business is building enough free cash flow, then they're they have the opportunity to build wealth outside that business. And, and I always believe in trying to create a second income. Um, so they're in that position if they're getting that free cash flow out that, you know, they can put extra money in their super fund, they can start investing in other areas. So um, more passive income. Yeah, passive and I've always been, a, I'm always a great believer with my clients that they have a second income outside their job, whether that be their business or, you know, if they're a wage earner. Um, and I think when when the business runs well and that, and that cash flow is flowing, that really does give them some great deal of opportunities to look at other other options investment wise mm-hmm. yeah. all right so getting so, so at the end of their working career so that's what they're looking for is a you know security in retirement uh, make sure they've got enough money obviously you know their health and well-being of course is um yeah. is key there as well um so how, how how would a business go or sorry how would an individual who owns a business go about achieving this this goal of you know the security of uh, in retirement and and whatnot. Yeah, so um, initially, um, when you're setting up a business, the hard part is you know um, making sure it's going to succeed, and then you actually get to a position where you're paying yourself a wage, and then that, that, that's an that's a huge achievement in itself when you get the business to a point where um, you're not burning your capital, you you're paying yourself a wage. Once you get past that point, then a lot of small business owners or they don't put any money in superannuation because they just literally can't afford to. And then once that business starts moving, then it's building that um, nest egg and it's always long-term. It seems a long time away. The sooner they can start chipping away at their super fund, the better um, from that point of view. And then when they're sort of capping out on those returns, then you know that they're going to have enough super there. Um, and then I always like my clients to have, um, if they can, um, assets outside of super as well because you're limited in the contributions that you can make um, and then if they can build that second you know effectively three pots of gold so they've got their business which potentially can be sold um, they have their self-managed super fund and then they've got other investments then they're realistically going to be in a, a really quite a nice position um, when they retire and, and then that's all about the business being able to support that transfer of wealth into other assets and then they're getting some diversification and then they're de-risking their business as they go along and then they can have the opportunity to say okay I can pick a date um, and say okay I'm going to retire at this particular point and and if you've got those strategies in place where you're just chipping away at it then then you can actually pick a target Um, and I think that that gives them a lot of comfort 
Um, and we all know that businesses go up and down. So there's certain years where you don't, and then the good years is where you really need to be, you know, you know, play, you know, digging a hole in the ground and putting the wheat in the ground. And so you've got that for a long, long day. Okay. So would you say that um, they say so what you, if I can paraphrase what you've just said there, essentially pick a date in, in the future that you want to retire, work out how much you need, what sort of lifestyle you want, how much you need, and then working backwards, exactly what you need to be contributing or um, in order to achieve that goal. Is that, is that a fair way of... Yeah, and and when, we, when we do advice for model that, so someone says, okay, I want to retire when I'm 65 years old or whatever their number is, and everybody's number's different, if you know what I mean. Some people want to work to the 75, it just depends. Um, and there's no right or wrong age. Um, but they say, I want to retire at that age. And then what we do is we work out what assets they have currently and then we work out what contributions they're going to make, whether that be to super or to their investment portfolio. And then we say, okay, you stop work, so your income stops. And then we say, okay, you're going to spend sixty or $70,000 a year in retirement, whatever your comfortable number is. And then we work out what the degradation to that asset pool is. And then it's, you know, it's a three-pronged argument. What return we get on that investment, um, what amount of money has been taken out of um, that particular pool and how long it will last. And then generally we'll project that out five years past their life expectancy. If the last pass there, then we know that they've got enough money. Yeah. And we can do those projections. And I do that for people who are young right at the start so we can get a really good feel um, for how, how can they achieve that target. And then, and then we'll do projections for people and go, okay, two years two years more work and then you're set or another year's work. And then, and then, then we can pick the target. Um, and then from their point of view, they say, okay, I thought it was 62, but it's actually 65, so that's fine. And then yeah. you know where they're going. Yeah. yeah. And the alternative there, I guess, could be that, um, you know, if they still wanted to be, if they still wanted to be 62, but it's just not going to work, then obviously they need more, they have to put, they have to contribute more money as, as they go. So maybe Correct. sacrifice a little bit more lifestyle uh, in their current, uh, in, their, in their more current years. So that they can retire at that earlier age. Yeah, we always, we always. And the funny, the funny thing about what I do is we always have conflicting goals. You know, we all want to, you know, spend a lot of money, go out and do all those sort of things, and we're all really good at spending money. Um, but again, to achieve a target, you've got to have, you've got to make some sacrifices, and you can make some small sacrifices, and that can be, you know, meaning to say that you've got to work for another three years or. Um, through the period of time for the pre twenty, you put an extra five thousand dollars in, and that means to say you can retire. So you've, it's always the yin and the yang. You've got to, at some point, make some sort of sacrifice to get there. Um, and if you've got enough free cash flow, it's not that hard. But again, it it, it really comes back to simple budgeting and, and saving whatever surplus you have, yeah, and controlling okay. your expense. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned there that you know different ages. Where is is there a an age that is best to talk about this sort of thing, like come and see you, an age or a, a stage in your in your business or or employment or whatever it might be. So it's funny, like most people come when they're mentally ready, if you know what I mean, and that's when it's kind of you have a pain point. Um, but it's like any any plan: the earlier you start, the less pain it is later on. Whereas if you're, um, it's never too late, if you know what I mean, and it because the later you leave it, you're going to play catch up. Um, and that's fine if you've got a big salary and things are going well, whereas it's so much easier if you start earlier and you start chipping away because it's like running a marathon. If you can you know, put one foot in front of the other um, and do it regularly and create that habit, then 
that wealth builds and, and it's literally it's the money that money's making and then the, that money being reinvested and compounding and that compounding effect changes everything it changes everything in relation to your return so suddenly you're putting ten thousand dollars a year you get a ten thousand dollar return on your investment suddenly you you're a whole year ahead and just in savings numbers mm. so and that 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 investment building and actually generating income is the key to getting to your target it actually makes it easier whereas if you leave it later you've got to have a bigger lump of capital to actually get there and that's why i'm a great believer you know if you're doing it in your 30s and 40s you're you're miles ahead than you know trying to trying to do it when you're you know two or three years away before your retirement yeah but nonetheless even if you are two or three years away from retirement there are still strategies that can um benefit you no doubt yeah, and, and that's where, um, you know, there's some very, very generous taxation laws in relation to people who have run their own businesses where they, they actually sell that business and they can get a, um, a, a large amount of money into, a, into their self-managed, into their super funds mm -hmm. um, from that point of view. And that is that is the benefit of running your own business. So if you're building an asset, um, you're part of your retirement strategy quite often for those people is actually to sell that asset, sell that business, mm -hmm. assuming it has intrinsic value for someone else to buy and that quite often is small business owners or learning a smaller company owners um, strategy for their retirement. They know that they're going to sell that business. It's worth whatever the number is. I don't know the answer to that. Um, yeah. And then that they take that money and invest and that becomes their retirement nest egg. And then it's just investing it after that point um, yeah. so that it produces the income for them. Okay. So in terms of then the, uh, so moving on now to the um, investment strategies, so, for example, um, yeah, there's a I don't know a chippy who's um, uh, looking at he's maybe he's got his own self-managed super fund um, or maybe not, but looking at um, you know building this wealth. What tell us a little bit about the different um, investment strategies that are available to uh, to people? So you know the guy the 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 guy that's obviously um, running his own business, whether that be a plumber, electrician, um, he he's got he's got multitude of options, um, and the key is getting his revenue to the point where he's got that free cash flow, so he's paying himself a salary, um, and then the other key part there is to start to contribute um, for to a super, and then from there is literally as that builds up. Initially, what you want is you want some you want a you know, you want a cheap superannuation fund that's performing appropriately for you. Um, and then once you've got enough capital, then you can start looking at other options. And initially, they want to be diversified um, from that point of view across all assets. It's really important because then it just de-risks them. So in a perfect world, we we take a, a dollar of risk and make as much money of, of, from it as possible. And that's the per in a perfect world, that's what happens um, from that point of view. Um, and then after that point that they've actually got enough um, capital, then then it can change the structure of what they're doing. Like you like like you alluded to, they could have a self managed super fund. Um, it's very common um, that um, tradespeople they'll have a they have actually have a factory or an office, you know, an office, and then they, that that becomes part of their self managed super fund, um, and that's where they run their business from. The self managed super fund buys it. The the company pays that rent um, from that point of view. Um, and then they're building that asset in the self-managed super fund. And then from the, the key point from there is because they've only got one asset, they need to build some liquidity around it. And that's adding other investments like shares or managed funds so that there's suitable liquidity later on. Um, so you're not forced to sell that property when it hits into pension phase. Mm. Um, and then that, that building of wealth is, is really cool. Because from that point of view, the, 
the self-managed super fund is effectively getting rent from the business. Um, the, the actual tradesperson is contributing to that fund. Um, so the, and in a perfect world, the properties continue to increase in value. Um, so you're, and then we add some liquidity around it um, to cover, just to provide uh, differentiation of return and that's reducing risk. Mm-hmm. And then those, those assets um, build through time. And then that, that's, a, that, that, that's a really, that can be a very nice strategy. It doesn't suit everybody because they don't need that commercial office or you know, factory or storage facility. Um, but again, it doesn't mean to say that they can't um, use that structure to create other assets around it and the flexibility. But not everybody wants to run, um, wants the compliance of a self-managed super fund. And you can do, with um, with wholesale funds, you can create similar diversity and, and very, very good returns at very reasonable prices as well. So, you know, the, the opportunities there are quite large because there's just so many options for them. You're right. Okay. Is that fair? Or? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, no, I think that's um, answered the question very, very well. So different let's just say there's different types of people out there i know like my wife and myself i'm uh, my wife is very risk averse and i'm i won't say um you know uh, risk um uh, risk hungry but you know a little bit bit more uh, happier to take a, a slightly higher risk um but is it, which means that our what we would invest in uh a, a different, a different a, yeah, a different. very common, yeah. very, very common, very common. Yeah, so, so it's, yeah. it's very common for um, when you do couples, um, the husband will be growth or high growth from mm-hmm. a profile, and then the, the wife might be balanced or conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's getting the comfort where um, your wife will be comfortable with the investments and in, say in your superannuation if you had a self-managed super fund because your money's combined mm-hmm. um, or you keep it you keep it separate and you, you're and I've got a client in exactly the same situation her super fund is balanced and his is high growth or, or okay. vice versa it doesn't mean you know the females who are extremely aggressive in relation to how they want to invest as well it's not just you know a male female thing um, from that point of view yeah yeah. Okay. So there's so you can so there's no no um, no problem in having different um, appetites of risk. Yeah. Or different risk profiles. No, it's actually it's actually the norm. It's definitely the norm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the, the the person in the relationship that might be um, you know risk um, risky slightly riskier or chasing uh, higher growth. Um, can do whatever they want with their portion. Is that is that right. what you're saying? Yeah, and then the yeah, other part. Yeah, and generally most people, because not everybody has a self-managed super fund. So if you've got your own standard um, super fund, generally they're held as separate assets. You know, it's held in trust for you for when you retire. So your your say I don't know your your um, and your super fund, which is with a, whichever provider it be. Um, would be high growth, say, because you're 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 risk on. You like risk. You're comfortable with the volatility. You know it's going to go up and down, but you're happy to get what is a longer term, um, higher number from that point of view. Whereas um, your wife's super fund, whoever's with, it's at balance. So she's more um, steady as she goes. She's not going to have as many um, drawdowns. So her drawdown, so your drawdown might be ten percent. Hers might be two. Um, 
So your, your high growth might make, say, 10% over 10 years, um, whereas her portfolio might make seven over, over 10 years, but it won't has, have as, as big a drawdowns, and she's more comfortable with that number. Yeah. And generally, when I, when I get people to look at that, you, have a, you show a period in the market where they've had a drawdown so they can get a feel uh, an indication of what the potential drawdown is. So if I said to you, oh, you had $100,000 and lost 5%, you've lost $5,000, are you comfortable with that? Hmm. Um, and then that's how you really determine whether what risk profile, whereas if I said to you, okay, it's 2008, the market went down 40%, you had 100 grand, you suddenly got, um, you know, you got $60,000, are you comfortable with that? Most people go, no, thanks. <laughs> so that just gives them a really good feel for, um, yeah you know, risk appetite and, and, and it's fine when the market, everybody loves it when the market's going up and they're making money, but the, the real determination of your risk profile is when, when you take a loss and how yeah. comfortable you are with that loss. And some people are super comfortable with it, others aren't. Yeah, yeah that's right. I think it's all relative anyway, because um, like I'd be comfortable having lost, uh, say, $40,000 one year, provided, you know, the, that I made $100,000, uh, you know, a couple of years before that. It's... Um, which, yeah, which is then, the whole the whole idea of volatility, or the whole definition, I should say, of volatility, which is what high risk, yeah. And that, and you're aiming for that longer term number, and you're happy to wear the the swings and roundabouts on the way, and that, and that, that that's the key to to taking more risk. You've got to be you're not going to sell out when it's down because otherwise you're just locking the loss. Yeah. Whereas you're happy to ride it out because you your view is that you'll know uh, through time you'll do better. Yeah, yeah. and we might just uh, start. Uh, wrapping it up, the, yep. the last sort of line of questioning that I've got here is based around um, the question of how much is enough. Let's just say, for example, um, I don't know. So by the time you retire, you would expect that your mortgage is paid off. Mm. Um, majority of people, I think, would be in that uh, in that position by the time they retired. Um, so. That their, their requirement for, of, of money will, will not be as high as it was while they did have a mortgage. Um, but let's just say uh, you mentioned before um, 50, 60, 70,000 a year. Is that about the average amount that might be required? Like what would be the average amount required? AFCA do a really good um, standard which you can look up. And every year they say, what, what's a comfortable level to retire on for a couple? And they say it's roughly around $60,000 mm -hmm. for a couple to, to retire on. Um, so that's, and then that, that gives you a really good feel for potentially the number. And like, I, I kind of view it more holistically than that. I like, and, and I, I like what you said. So I kind of like my clients to know that they're going to have a home. So they've got a roof over their head. Um, in a perfect world, their home's paid off. So they've got a debt-free house. Um, then, and, and, and people's spending is different. Like the Africa thing is really good because it kind of gives you a nice benchmark of about $60,000. Some people wouldn't want to live on $60,000 a year. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to live on 100 or 120 or whatever their number is. And, and every, everybody's number is different. It's not the same. And some people live on $30,000, you know, and, yeah. they're, and they're really comfortable on it. And that's that's where it's so personal, um, that the, the final number. So the and, and it is and it, and it becomes a, a three-pronged argument is really your asset pool and you know the there's a number of standards that sit out there and you can look at it on the government websites they say you know for a couple if you've got about eight hundred fifty thousand dollars in your super fund then they believe that that's a suitable number I, I can't I kind of don't 
subscribe to a particular number. I think it's very, very individual dependent in relation to what sort of lifestyle you want to lead, how much money you want to spend. And then once you've done that basic budgeting, then mm. you know, work backwards to what your number is. Um, yeah. And I kind of like you to always be over that number um, because at some point we're going to have a bad bad year where you, um, you're going to draw on your capital. If we've got good investment markets and you're making returns, that money's going to last longer. You get drawdowns and then you draw on your capital and it's just how fast you draw on that capital and that's dependent on returns and how much money you're spending. Yeah, yeah, and, okay. and that's why we model it out. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, I mean, let's just, so for argument's sake, let's just say, um, all right, we'll say the average is sixty. Let's just say uh, sixty thousand dollars a year using um, the the amount that um, Adfer have, um, okay. have worked out for us, um, and we want to retire at sixty five, uh, and that's from the age of sixty five. What? Um, and you've got, say, a, um, a middle of the range, um, so a, a, a balanced um, portfolio. What, what would be the number that you need to have sitting in your investments in order to, uh, like, is it a million dollars? Is it $10 million? Like, so, is, there a, is there a goal that people should be aiming for? Or am so, I being... No, 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 you're right. But yeah. the problem, so, so what's fundamentally changed is because interest rates have dropped to basically zero. Mm. Prior, people would retire and then they'll put money in a term deposit and earn four or five percent. Now, you put money in a term deposit and you, you're going backwards, if you know what I mean. Mm. You kind of yeah. get point, point 1.4, so you just don't get much money. So what, what it's done is it's forced people to take a whole bunch more risk. So if you look at a balanced portfolio and what they're projecting a balanced portfolio is going to do, over the next 10 years, and this is just from the forecasters, they're saying, you know, you should model at about 5% for a balanced portfolio. And that prior, that number was six, and every year now it's going down purely because mm -hmm. interest rates are so low. So what that's forcing you to do is take more risk. So if you if you had $850,000 and you had 5%, it's going to give you $42,500. Right. So if you're, if you're spending $60,000, you know you're taking roughly about, you know, $18,000 out of your capital every year. So, and, that, and that's why that the, the pool and when interest rates are low is higher, um, yeah. when, when, you know, well, sorry, the pool's higher when interest rates are lower. And when interest rates are higher, that pool's lower. And that's what's caused um, a number of issues for the retirees from, you know, the really low interest rates and quantitative easing because it's forced interest rates and it's forced them to go into equities and property and, and search for yield. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what's fundamentally changed that number. Um, and, but the other thing that always kicks in for people is initially, if they're spending $60,000, they won't meet the pension requirements. But as if they had eight hundred fifty, as they burn that capital down and they, they draw down on their capital, then the age pension kicks in. And then the age pension slows down the burn of their assets. Right. And then that's the kind of, the, the, and that makes a fundamental difference for them because it stops them drawing as much money out of their capital because the age pension subsidizes that, their actual expenditure. Right. Okay. And that's why it's become so important because the age pension, you know, now is, is worth gold purely because interest rates are so low. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, so, yeah, essentially, there's no easy answer. I think no. So and just I don't to, like to summarize, yeah, no, that's okay. It's such a, it's such a, it'd be such a, um, a dangerous thing for me to say to someone, and you know, generally yeah. that you need X number because they're aim for that number, and, and then they're spending, you know, two hundred grand a year, and it only lasts them five years. 
Yeah. Whereas if they're spending thirty thousand dollars a year, or it's going to last a lot longer, and that and that the the spending capacity, your spending capacity is the key to how long that money is going to last. Yeah. Okay. When you spend the less, the less it's going to last. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the key the key point here is that you, anything is achievable. Uh, anything yes. you want is achievable. You just need to um, get in touch with. Uh, your financial advisor, or if they don't have one, I'm sure you'd be more than happy to uh, uh, have a chat with anyone who wanted to, um, and uh, and set up a plan. Start no yeah, times too late and no times too early. No, no, no times too late. And then think about it: is once they've got a plan, then they then they can then they can aim for that. So if they say that oh, I want to spend a hundred thousand dollars a year, then you build a portfolio so that so you can achieve that goal. And if it's thirty thousand dollars, you build a plan to achieve that goal. Um, it's kind of it's it, you've got to you can't have the cart before the horse if you know what I mean. You need the horse yeah. to be dragging the cart to get there, and that and that and that's really key to to hitting your plan. And that's why if you don't have a plan, you're not going to get there. And that strategy gets you to that that goal that you want to achieve. Yeah. Okay. All right, Michael. Thanks very much for your time today. It's been uh, very very informative. Um. It's uh, for anyone interested in obtaining further information on, um, yeah, on this, this very crucial part of anyone's wealth management, um, whether you're self-employed or otherwise, I guess, um, please drop us a message at either chat at baytalk.com.au or uh, on any of our social media uh, messaging um, interactions. Um, and we can promptly put you in touch with Michael and uh, put your mind at ease. Thanks for your time, David. Cheers. Thanks, Michael. Please follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and of course, Instagram. And keep an eye out every second Monday for the topic of the week. It'll definitely be worth your while. Thanks, everyone, for listening.